Hey, good morning, everyone. How many of you geek out just a little bit when it comes to space stuff? How many of you are like sci-fi fanatics and you like the, maybe, maybe the, the old sci-fi movies? And aren't, they, aren't they great? They're so corny. But they're so much fun to watch. Um, we, we've been going through the series of tough questions. And this is our last one that we're on today. And, and if, you've, if you've missed any of them, you can uh, go to our website and or you can get them on iTunes. And we, we hit a lot of tough questions over this series. And, um, and so make sure that you check those out if you've missed any of them. Um, today we're going to look at can Christianity and science mix? And so this is, this is, a, this is a, a tough topic, especially if you've gone to university or you've gone to college. Many times what we're taught is that um, faith and science can't mix. You have to drop one to, to accept the other. And, and what I want to look at today is that um, as we look at, obviously at this video, as you look at our universe and our galaxy, it, it's so expansive. It's so huge. And, and for us here today, you, you may have looked at that video and you say, man, I feel so small. But when we begin to look at it, I believe science actually shows us that there is a creator, that there's something so unique about our world and about our galaxy and about our universe and how intricate it all works together perfectly. That when we look at science, it points to someone that says, hey, my fingerprint is all over this. And so I'm going to dive into this. So if, you're, um, if you geek out on this stuff, you're going to love it. If not, you can take out your phone and play video games if you want to for the next uh, half an hour. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, I think you'll be interested in this, but I want to jump right into the Word of God. Let me give you a couple passages here as we just start off this morning. And, and, and let's see what the Word of God has to say about God the Creator and about our universe. And then we're going to look at science and we're going to see, can these two complement each other? And do we have to drop one to, to, to receive the other? The first, one, the first uh, verse I want to look at today is Psalms 24, 1 and 2. It's a Psalm of David and it says this. David says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And then I love Hebrews. Let's jump in the New Testament. Hebrews 11:3 says, "By faith, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible." Now, in our world today, whether you've gone through school, or you studied biology, or to take your, your your biology class, or maybe you've studied this in college, what's interesting today is many of our universities and books like The God Delusion uh, by Richard Dawkins claims that science and a belief in God cannot coexist, that you have to drop one in order to receive the other. Now, if, 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 is this true? Do we have to choose? Does science discredit a belief in God? And this is a lot of things that, that some of you may have gone through school and maybe you've been challenged with this from a professor and you're like, it challenged your faith. Maybe some of you grew up in church and then you get into a biology class and then you're like, well, what about evolution? What about these things? What about the fossil records? What about all these things? Is, is this something that challenges our faith and, and, and not allow us to believe um, in a creator? Do we have to drop uh, one to, to accept the other? Do we have to choose and does science discredit the belief in God? And, 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 and here's what I want you to see this morning. I want to look at it a little bit differently today. 
And instead of saying, does, does, it discredit, does one discredit the other? I want to look at, can science actually show the reality of God? And I want to tell you, it can. And it does. 8.30 people full of turkey, overdosed on turkey, all right? I believe it can, and, and that's why I love showing the, the video at the beginning. And so the answer to the question is, I believe it's, it's both. There is an interesting study that was done in 1916, and then they redid the study again in 1997. And what they, what they did was the study surveyed scientists asking them if they believed in God who, who actively communicates with humanity. And in 1916... 40% said yes, 40% said no, and 20% weren't sure. Now, they asked the same question in 1997 about does God actually communicate with humanity. Now, you would think in 1997 it would become a lot less, but was so shocking about this survey in 1997 with the same question asked, they found no real change in 80 years. So this, this perception that we think scientists are all on the bandwagon, that there can be no God and no creator, is a misnomer. It's a huge misnomer. I like what C.S. Lewis says here concerning this. He says, he says, man became scientific because they expected law in nature. They expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. I think, that's a, I think that's a great quote right there. So before I get into this, let me say this, that every scientist has theories or presuppositions. In the case of Christianity, the Bible says that we have faith. And for the case of scientists, they have faith uh, in the same type of way that we have faith that these things existed. Um, if you go to a secular college and you study science, um, I am told that I can't have faith. And if this is true, um, I would say, no, I believe you can have faith, and I believe that science can, can prove this. You don't have to choose one or the other. I would say the more we study science, the more we see God's handiwork in our universe. I guarantee that if Darwin were alive today, he would completely change his presuppositions about his theories. Because what Darwin didn't have that we have today is molecular science. The study of, of molecular biology, the way things are, how small and intricate things are. Darwin didn't have access to that. Basically, the way Darwin explained things is, is the only way I can explain is you would have, if you look at a pond and you have lily pads, and you have lily pads that are separated maybe three feet apart, and a frog can jump from this lily pad to this lily pad, but in between you have all this space. And what Darwin didn't know about was all this space in between. He made this assumption from this lily pad to this lily pad that this is the way everything was done. And this is the way naturalistic um, um, evolution had occurred. But he didn't understand about the molecular world. He didn't understand how small everything is, is intertwined and how there's a thumbprint to everything. And I guarantee if he knew that. But what the problem is you're saying, well, 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 Pastor, why do they still teach it in our schools Today, think for a minute, right? Think for a minute. If we start to teach that there's a designer behind this creation, what's the next step? Well, if there's a designer, then there's a creator. And if there's a creator, there just might be a God. And if there's a God, maybe there's a savior. 
And if there's a savior, maybe it points to Jesus. And where do we get all that? From the Bible. They don't want to go there. So they would rather stick with this one idea of of this philosophical idea of naturalistic evolution because they don't want to go the route of actual a creator. But here's the problem. Many scientists are jumping out of that bandwagon because they realize there's a design behind this creation because the more we know, the more we see a designer behind creation. And so that's what I want to dive in today because here's what we know. We know way more than we did just a few years back and this is how precise our universe is. And let me just say this. We live on a privileged planet. You just being here this morning and breathing is a miracle. We don't realize all the things that have to come together in order for us just to have life, just for us to breathe. And if we think that came out of just a bunch of stuff that just happened, blobs and stuff that just happened to come together, and now you and I are all sitting here today breathing all full on turkey, it's crazy to think that way, isn't it? It takes way more faith to believe in that than I believe that it would to believe and a creator. And so our universe is so in tune, it is so orderly and precise that everything has to work in perfect order in order for you and I to exist. And what we see now that, that Darwin didn't see is that we have the knowledge of the study of molecules, the study of molecular biology. Everything has a design. And if everything has a design, there must be a designer. And I would say the big tension. And our world today is this tension uh, between science and faith. And we think, well, this is such a huge tension. But I don't believe it is a tension because I believe science does point to definitely a creator. Now, the root of the tension, I would say, is this. Is whether God created the earth or whether it was all done naturally. And that's where the tension goes. Because for a naturalistic, uh, someone that believes in that everything was just created out of nature... Um, they want to completely eliminate any designer or any God in the equation. Evolutionary science assumes that more complex life forms evolved out of less complex forms through the process of natural selection. But here's the issue. Evolution has turned into a philosophy that everything has natural causes, that it has a natural cause, that life is solely the product of happenstance with no one guiding it except chance, which leaves no room for God. And so what lies at the end of the argument is this. Naturalistic evolution uh, say, if you believe in a designer, then the conclusion must be drawn to a creator. And if there's a creator, then the next step, there must be a God. And if there's a God, then we get into religion and, and maybe I have to give an account for my life. And we don't want to go there. Because if I actually have to give an account for my life and the way I live it, and there's a creator that created me, then we got a whole other issue, right? And we understand through the word of God that the reason why we're in the mess that we are is because of sin. That man rebelled against God. And the reason why God sent a savior through his son Jesus Christ, who was God and perfect in every way, was to redeem us from our sin. And that's the reason why mankind is in the mess that it is in today. We need a savior. And so naturalism is the belief that everything happened from natural causes, no God, no creator, 
And we all have a way at which we look at this world. So some uh, questions are outside the scope of science. Science can't answer some questions where we see in the word of God that it does answer the basic questions of life, of the origins of life, why we're in the mess that we're in today, and how do we fix it? The Bible answers those questions, but naturalistic evolution cannot answer those questions. The question is, so why do I, I exist? Science can't answer that. What is the origins of life? Science can't answer that. What about evil and what about love? Science can't answer that. And so you can't leave that out. Naturalistic evolution can't explain that. Richard Dawkins' answer to the origins of life is this, and let me quote him. He says that maybe aliens seeded the earth. Did you hear what I just said? Maybe aliens seeded the earth. That's his answer. Molecular biologist, Oxford, that's his answer, that maybe aliens seeded the earth because they have no answer. And so now he's saying now there might be a designer. They're aliens, but there's a designer. So even he believes in some kind of design theory, right? So, so what is the answer? Does it, does, does, does it go beyond science to a theory uh, and it can't be proven? And that's the problem with, with, with atheistic evolution theories that, 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 it just can't be proven, and they can't prove uh, the existence and, and how the origins of life started. Many atheists uh, don't even agree with Dawkins that science can explain everything. So, so science, here's, here's what I want you to understand, because this is the tension. Science isn't the enemy of Christianity. It's naturalistic philosophy that permeates our education system as a fact and not a theory. That's the enemy. Did you hear me? You're like, why did I come to church today? Pastor, you're getting way crazy this morning. But just follow me. It's going to get better, okay? Just follow me. See, those who follow a naturalistic science uh, uh, for their belief, for, for their answers to everything, can't believe in the supernatural. They can't believe in miracles. So, so how could God become a man? How could there be a virgin birth of Christ? How could Jesus perform miracles? Um, and interrupt the natural order? How could God create us out of nothing, ex nihilo? How could he do that? See, that's where our faith comes in because God is God and we are not, and he's much smarter than we are. So, so here's what I want us to understand today. Um, what, what, we, what we can understand is we don't have to throw our faith out the window when it comes to science. In fact, I believe the opposite is true. We have discovered, and the more we've discovered, uh, the more we see that it points to a creator. So science isn't our enemy. F philosophical naturalism is. And, and it, it, if, if I just believe in a philosophy w where it's just natural and everything happens by chance and there's no designer uh, behind the design, then really we come to the point to where life absolutely has no meaning. And so basically... If we believe in this naturalistic order that everything just happens by happenstance, we're born, uh, we live, we die, and that's it. And how sad that is, that, that my life has absolutely no meaning and no purpose at the end. But here's what the Word of God says. Your life does have purpose. It does have meaning. There's more to our life than just living and dying. And so let me go back to Hebrews 11.3. And what does it say here? It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And I love the passage in Job 34 
Job loses everything and, you know, just, just, you know, God takes him through this huge test. And there's this point where God speaks and he talks about him being creator and talks about who do you think you really are? That, that you're going to try to figure out the existence and, and the origins of the universe. Were you there? And so I love this, this rhetoric. And this is what God says in Job 38, starting with verse 4. I love what he says here. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. He says, who determined its dimensioned and stretched out the surveying lines who support its foundations, who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the seas inside its boundaries and it burst from the womb. And, and as I closed it with the clouds, uh, with the clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness for I locked it behind the barren gates, limiting its shores. I said this far and no further will, will you come Here's your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread out to the ends of the earth to bring it to the ends to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay presses beneath the seal. It's robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence? Have you explored the springs from which the sea comes? Have you explored their depths? And God's saying, you're limited. You're finite in your thinking, but I am not. There's no limit to me because I am God. And for us to think that we can figure it all out is ridiculous because our minds are finite. And that's where humility comes in. To admit there's something bigger than me. I, I, listen to me. If you can get to that point in your life, your life will completely change forever. And that's why I showed you the video at the beginning. Because think about it, Our world revolves around who? Well, me, if I'm thinking selfishly, right? Everyone's like gives a Sunday school answer. Jesus. Is that the right answer, Pastor? Jesus. Right? No, our world, if we think about selfishly, our world revolves around us. We, we're very narrow-minded. And when you look at the perspective of the universe, we're pretty small, aren't we? Our planet is pretty small. And so for us to think that we know it all is simply ridiculous. So, so here's the thing. I want you to understand this morning that you are not an accident, that, that life does have purpose and reason. And, and I want you to see how intricate our world is for you to even exist. And it's, possible, and it's impossible for me to believe that chaos created order. And it would be on the same level as, as uh, my car fixing itself after an accident. I don't care if you gave it a trillion years. A car is not going to fix itself. It needs someone to fix it. We need someone to fix us. And that's why God sent his only begotten son to fix us. Now, this is probably one of my favorite arguments against naturalistic philosophy. And that is the study of anthropic laws or principles. Now, now, what is that? Um, let me explain this to you because these are, I just geek out over these because they're just so good and they show how intricate our world is and how 
privileged our planet is for you and I to live here and how God is such a perfect creator. There's a great website if you ever want to go to it. It's called gotquestions.org, and they did such a great job explaining this. So um, a lot of this I got from them, and it's a great website if you ever... They have like 400,000 questions that are answered about um, Christianity and beliefs, and you can just plug in your you know, question, and, and they do. I think it's just a great website to answer a lot of questions. But I want to look at this. I'm going to look at what this anthropic principle is. And basically what this is, is anthropic means relating to human beings and their existence. And I'm putting my glasses on because it makes me look a lot smarter because I have no idea what half this stuff means, but it's really cool. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay. So basically anthropic means this. It's related to human beings and their existence. What does it take for us to exist on this earth? Principle basically means law. So here's the deal. Anthropic principle is the law of human existence. It is well known that our existence in the universe depends on numerous cosmological constants and parameters. Those numerical values must fall within a very narrow range of values. And so this is what an anthropic principle is. There's this very narrow, narrow, narrow range of values that things have to fall into place in order for you and I to breathe and have life. Now, here's, here's what's so interesting about this. If even a single variable were off, even slightly, every single one of us here would not exist. The extreme improbability of that, that so many variables would align so auspiciously in our favor merely by chance has led many, many scientists and philosophers to, to purpose instead that it was God who engineered the universe and suited it for our specific needs. And this is the anthropic principle, that the universe appears to have been fine-tuned for our existence. Now, it's interesting that everything was so fine-tuned so that we could live here on earth. Was that by chance? Is it naturalistic? I don't think so. We live on a very privileged planet for you and I to exist. So let me give you a couple of examples here of anthropic principles that exist in our universe for us to live here today. And for those of you that like this stuff, you're going to love it. For the rest of you, pretend like it's really cool and just shake your head and say, yeah, this is cool, Pastor. I love it. But, uh, but, 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 but let, let's, let me just give you a couple of things here because this is so good. Oh, I love this. Okay. Let's consider protons. How many remember protons in fourth grade or fifth grade when we learned them, right? Remember protons? Here's what's interesting about protons. Protons, if you forgot from your science class in fourth grade, protons are positively charged subatomic particles which along with neutrons form the nucleus of what? An atom, right? All of you were just wrong there, okay? Okay, forms an atom. We need to all go, are you smarter than a fifth grader? That's what I got to ask, okay? So this formed an atom around which negatively charged electrons orbit. Okay, now here's what's cool. Whether by providence or fortuitous luck, depending on your perspective, protons just happen to be 1,836 times larger than electrons. Now, here's what's cool about this. If they were a little bit larger or a little bit smaller, we would not exist because atoms could not form the molecules we require. 
So how did protons end up being 1,836 times larger than electrons? Why not 100 times? Why not 100,000 times? Why not smaller? Uh, out of all the possible variables, how did protons end up being just the right size? Was it luck or was it planned? Hmm, right? Interesting. See, or how is it that protons carry a positive electrical charge equal to that of a negatively charged electron? And listen to me. If protons did not balance electrons or vice versa, we would not exist. They, would not, uh, they, they are not comparable in size, yet they are perfectly balanced. Did nature just stumble upon such a relationship? Or did God ordain it for our sake? I believe God designed it specifically for our sake. Did all this just happen by chance? Now, let me just give you a couple more facts about our earth and universe that give us the ability to live here and how privileged this planet earth is that we live and breathe in today. Let me give you a couple of things here. I'm going to show you there. I think uh, they're up on the screen too. You can look at them, but let's look at a couple of things. Let's first look at the earth's reflectivity or albedo. So here's a couple of things. Here's really cool. Now, what is this? What's the albedo of the earth? This is the total amount of light reflected off the planet versus the total amount of light absorbed. If the Earth's albedo was much greater than it is now, we would experience complete runaway freezing. If it were much less than it was, we would ex experience complete runaway greenhouse effect. This works in perfect unity together. So that's just the Earth's reflectivity or albedo. Uh, uh, the amount of light reflected off the planet versus the total amount of light absorbed. If these weren't in perfect uh, consistency, you'd have runaway coldness or, or hot uh, on either ends of the perspective. Either end of the perspective. So, so that's Earth's reflectivity. What about the Earth's magnetic field? Here's what's interesting about the Earth's magnetic field. If it were much weaker, our planet would be devastated by cosmic radiation. If it were much stronger, we would be devastated by severe electromagnetic storms. Here's what's interesting about Jupiter. Just Jupiter, um, the way it's placed in our solar system, the way it's, way it's placed, it's perfectly placed, and it acts like a giant vacuum to keep us from being bombarded by asteroids. Perfectly placed right there. What about Earth's place in our solar system? If it were much further away from the sun, our planet's water would freeze. If it were much closer, it would boil. This, this is just one of numerous examples of how privileged our, our place in the solar system that actually allows for life here on Earth. Our solar system's place in the galaxy. Look at this. This is, once again, there are numerous examples for this. For example, if our solar system... We're too close to the center of our galaxy or any of its spiral arms at its edge or any cluster of stars for that matter. Our planet would be devastated by cosmic radiation. Let me just give you one more. What about the color of our sun? If the sun was much more red, red in color, redder, I don't even know if that's a word, redder. 
if it was much more red in color on one hand or bluer on the other, photosynthesis would be impeded. Photosynthesis is the natural biochemical process crucial for life on Earth. All of these, just a few of these anthropic principles, all come from science. Things that we have discovered about our Earth and about our solar system. Okay, now that you are completely dazzled by these neat facts, and you're so glad that you came to church today, here's the question I want to leave you with today. What does this mean for you and I? See, see what, what, does it, what does it mean for you and I and the struggles that we daily go through in our life? And I would say absolutely everything. And here's the reason why. God knows you and he cares for you. And here's where we must draw our conclusions. That in this huge vastness of our universe and even in our planet and even in our solar system, it is so easy to feel lost and alone And when we begin to study this naturalistic evolution and people look at it, I don't know how people don't go to the conclusion of like, what is it all worth it? Is it worth it? Am I just a big mistake? And and so my answer to you here this morning is you are not a mistake. You have, maybe you've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of poor choices in your life. But God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to change those things. And I'm going to use it for my glory because I haven't forgotten about you. And I care for you, even in the midst of this huge universe that goes on and on and on. I I, I remember just studying the star Canis Majoris. It's one of the biggest stars that we've discovered in our universe. And and they've discovered that you can fit 9.0 million of our suns into into this star. It's huge. It's just beyond comprehension. It's so much bigger than, than our sun. It's, it's 1,500 times the radius. It's 1,500 times larger than our own sun. This universe is crazy. It's big. It's so expansive. And it's so easy to just lose sight that does God really care about me in the midst of billions of people that live on this earth? In the midst of billions and trillions and trillions of stars in our universe, does God know me? And he does. And as we jump into this Christmas season, 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in the form of man and says, I want to know you. I'm going to leave my heavenly place and I'm going to come to this earth that's, that's been wrecked and destroyed by sin and wrong choices of man And I'm going to send my son into the midst of this filth, into the midst of sin, and I'm going to have him die a horrible death to be hung on a cross, to take your sins upon his shoulders so that we might come into a right relationship with God the Creator. That's what God did for you and I. And so what I want to do is, let me just, in closing, I want to read this. I love this psalm, one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalms 139. And it's a psalm of David once again. And what this psalm does is, it speaks of the heart of God, and it speaks of how God knows us, and that he hasn't forgotten about us. And you may be here today, and you may feel like, you know, Pastor, I just 
doesn't matter. I'm in a room of a bunch of people and I still feel lonely. When I get really alone with myself and my thoughts, um, I really question a lot of things. Um, my job's not doing it for me. My relationships aren't doing it for me. The things that I thought were so secure aren't that stable anymore in my life. And I'm really starting to question things in my life. And I want you to know something. God knows you. He knows exactly where you are. And he wants you to reach out to him. I am so glad that when I look at the stars at night and I look at the expanseness of our universe and you feel so small, I feel so small, yet God is so big and he knows me. He knows every hair on my head. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts, even before they're perceived. He knows me. And I can sit there and say, God, thank you for knowing me and caring for me. In the vastness of this earth, in the vastness of this universe, you know me. And let me read this to you. Here's what David says. David says, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the seed, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will not, the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created, for you created, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. He knows you. Yesterday, uh, we were celebrating my mom's birthday, and uh, my dad was showing all these old videos of when we were kids. Of course, my kids love it because they can make fun of me. So they're showing all these videos, and I was a swimmer, and um, they had a video of when I was uh, seven years old when I, when I started swimming. And I started looking at the video, and, and um, you know, you just look at It's weird when you look at yourself as a little kid. You're like, man, I forgot that I was that age. <laughs> and, um, and, and all of a sudden, something struck me when I was looking at that video. Because that was before I really knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It wasn't until I was 16 years old that I became a Christian. And it just struck me that God just spoke my heart and said, Barton, I knew you then. 
Now, you may have not known the plans I had for you, but I did. I knew the plans I had for you, Barton. And I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And that's what God says for you. I know the plans I have for you, and I'm not done. I know you feel lost maybe right now. I know you feel like, you know, what's life all about? And maybe you question that, or maybe you're a Christian here, and you're even stumbling around with your faith. God says, I know the plans I have for you. You just have to trust me. You have to put your trust in me. You are not alone in your struggle. I know everything. I knew you before you knew you. That's pretty existential, isn't it? I knew you before you knew yourself. God said, I knew you. And I know everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I still love you. And I still love you. And so as we just go to the Lord, I want to pray for you today. And we're just going to close in song today. And and, uh, maybe you're here today. And you feel that way. You just feel lost. You, you, maybe, maybe you're just doubting a lot of things in your life and, and, and maybe the, just, just a lot of things that have happened in your life and you're just doubting those things. I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he's not lost track of you, and he desires for you just to come to him and trust him with your life. He hasn't forgotten about you. And you know what's so great about God? He's got great plans for us. There's a great future when you follow Christ. That all things become new and that heaven waits for those who have trusted him. And that at the end of our earthly life here, we can say it's just the beginning. Because Jesus says, even though you die, you actually live. And so this life isn't all that there is. There's so much more to life than just living and dying. God tells us for all who come to his son, Jesus, we can find eternal life. Because we understand that this life is just a vapor, isn't it? Right? Especially when you have kids. Right? It's just a vapor. It's here one minute, gone the next. We're not here very long. And so where are you putting your trust today? Are you putting in the things of this earth that just fade away? Or are you putting your trust in the one who created this world, who's eternal, who has always existed? And that's God the Father. And we see this creative power through his son, Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him today. So I want you to stand this morning, and the worship team's going to come. We're going to close in song. I just want to pray for you today. And um, I just, I want you to leave this place um, just knowing how much God loves you today. And um, even in spite of all our mistakes and all our messiness and all our dysfunction, I want you to leave this place knowing how much God loves you today through his son, Jesus. So I want to pray for you today. Lord, as we bow our hearts before you today, Lord, may we know your plans. May we know how much you love us. May we just seek your face. And I pray for those that are struggling with that today and struggling with their identity and struggling with who they are. I pray that they would come to you, Jesus. That you are our creator, that you have come to restore all the brokenness, all the messiness, all our bad decisions. You have come to restore all those things for your purposes and your glory. And I pray, God, that you would bring that joy to every heart here today. That their security 
that their identity would not be found in themselves or what they do or what they've accomplished. But our identity would be found in Jesus for what he accomplished for us that we could never accomplish for ourselves. And that would be dying for our sins and becoming our substitute. So I pray that we would just put our trust in you today. Just thank you for this time. And thank you that science points to a perfect designer and God the creator. Thank you that we live on this privileged planet for a reason. That's not by mistake or happenstance. But God, you had this all planned from the foundations of the world. And you've not lost track of us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to realize that today as we sing this song to you today, I pray that we would just discover your love in such a deeper way. And so we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we just ask all these things in his name and thank you for knowing us today as we just reach out to you. And we just give you the glory in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Sing the son of the Lord. God bless you.